Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, let's take them and go together to the book of John, chapter number 16, please. The 16th chapter in John's Gospel is where we'll uh, find our text together this evening. And I want to thank you again for being faithful to the Lord's house uh, here on this Sunday night. It is the first Sunday of June, and so we've now entered the summer months. And uh, these months are typically uh, very busy months. Uh, Tonight at the end of the service, our young people who are participating uh, in our camp ministry, we'll be going to camp, have a, a brief meeting in which Brother Sam uh, needs to meet with him about some things. And so again, as we come to the end of the service, uh, Lord willing, if we'll, if we'll remember, we'll uh, dismiss those folks maybe just a little bit early and uh, so that they can get to where they're going. And let me encourage you to, in, uh, to uh, enroll your kids, uh, to send them to camp. Um, I, I think to myself that uh, it, is, uh, it is well worth, obviously, the investment that is made because there is a financial investment and uh, I find that more and more nowadays, kids spend more and more time inside uh, than they spend outside, and a week at camp will uh, reverse that, at least for a few days. Uh, and uh, you also, we also find that our, our children often mimic or imitate us in the use of their tablets and their devices, and uh, those, those things are not allowed at camp, and even if they were allowed at camp, they probably wouldn't work because it's in such a primitive place. And so it's just a great thing for our kids to be able to spend a week away from that sort of thing, and then obviously opportunity to develop um, uh, friendships and relationships with other Christian young people. And then, of course, in addition to that is the preaching and teaching from God's Word that they'll hear uh, a couple of times each day. And uh, many, many times our young people go to camp, and they come back different than the way that they went. And that's because, again, they've heard from the Lord. They have met with the Lord. He has met with them. And that's really what it's all about. Uh, and so let me encourage you uh, to get your young people enrolled. Some of you uh, no longer have young people in your home that are participating in camp, uh, and uh, you may be in a position where perhaps though you're not sending one specifically, you can help to send one uh, through the, the financial um, uh, aspect of things. And uh, we always uh, do accept uh, scholarships, those that uh, would like to, uh, to donate so that a young person could go. And I think the cost this year to go to camp is $170. And uh, you, may, uh, you may say, well, I, I can do all of that. I could do a couple of those. Or you may say, I, I can only do a little bit of that. And whatever you can do would be a help. And, uh, and so let me encourage you to give some thought to that and some consideration. They leave a week from tomorrow. And so if you're going to do anything, you'll need to do it here in the next couple of days. And I hope that some of you will give uh, some, some thought and consideration, hopefully, to, uh, to being a blessing uh, to, our, to our young people in that way. Well, hopefully you found uh, the Gospel of John chapter number 16 by now. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 7, and we'll read down through verse number 15. The Bible says in John chapter 16 and verse number 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. The next few moments, almost maybe in a, uh, in a, in a Bible study sense, I'd like for us to consider um, the Comforter, which of course we know as the Holy Spirit, or in this passage of Scripture is referred to as the Spirit of Truth. And of course you know that as a church family we've been emphasizing this idea this year of by my Spirit, uh, by my Spirit. So uh, the idea being that whatever it is that God has given us to do, whatever He's called us to do, uh, that if there's going to be any effectiveness to it, if it's going to accomplish anything of eternal value or eternal good, it must be done by his spirit, uh, that you and I can't even attempt to do uh, work of a spiritual nature in the power of our own flesh. Uh, you can attempt it, but it won't, it won't get the job done. The only way that you and I 
can do a spiritual work is by the Spirit's power. And, and last week, we, we considered the fact that while gathered together in the upper room the night before Jesus' crucifixion, that he broke the news that he was going to leave them, that, that he was, his, his bodily, physical presence was going to be taken from them in a physical sense from being here on this earth with them. We see that in John chapter 13. You're in chapter 16, likely maybe just a page or two away. And Jesus said in John 13, 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. So he is uh, clearly letting them know, Hey, listen, just a little bit longer that we have to be together, and then I am going to be taken away from you. Where I'm going, that you, at this point in time, you cannot come. And, um, and, and, and so Jesus is obviously preparing his disciples for what lays on the horizon. Uh, the, the reaction by them, of course, as you might well imagine, was one of sorrow and heaviness. And Jesus sensed that, which leads us to a very well-known passage of Scripture in John 14 and verse number 1, where Jesus said to his disciples, "'Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me.'" And so Christ told them that though he was going away from them, he, would, he was going to leave them with some gifts that would be critical uh, to them in helping them to advance the work that he had given them to do in his absence. Now again, a lot of this is just review from what we talked about last week. Perhaps most of you were here, maybe some of you were not. But let me just give the, the gifts to you very quickly. These are the, the gifts that uh, Christ left his disciples with. And he said, listen, I'm going away. I cannot stay here. My the plan of the Father is, is that I not be here any longer. My physical presence is going to be removed from this earth, but I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to give you some things. And those gifts that Christ left them with, we discussed last week, they were the hope of heaven, according to John 14, verses 1 to 6. The second gift was the power of prayer, according to John 14, verses 12 through 14. The third gift, which we'll spend a little bit more time on tonight, was the indwelling uh, power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God in their life. We read of that in John 14, verses 16 to 18. And then the final gift was the peace of God, found there in John 14 and verse number 27. Now, Christ used a term to describe the third gift in John 14 that he uses again in our text in John chapter 16. And that term, that title is the comforter. The comforter. The word comforter comes from the Greek word uh, parakletos, and it means intercessor, consoler, or advocate. And uh, if you were to study it a little bit deeper, you would discover that it really is a legal term, that someone who maybe has found themselves on the wrong side of the law, or standing, having to stand before a judge in a court of law, that person would appreciate someone like this, uh, a comforter coming alongside of them to help them in that particular moment. Most people, most of us, would feel very uncomfortable providing our own defense uh, in, a, in a court of law. We, we don't know the law. We don't know the ins and outs of things. We, um, you know, we, we, might, we might think that we could do it, but probably most of us would feel very uncomfortable being put into such a scenario like this. However, a lawyer, the, the comforter, knows the law. The comforter knows the judge. The comforter knows the prosecutor. And the comforter, the lawyer, will stand next to you to provide the help that is necessary for you to have any chance whatsoever to go on living your life in freedom. Now this year, as we've already stated, we have dedicated, um, we have, we have dedicated to ourselves to ministry by and through the Holy Spirit's power. More than just dedicating ourselves to ministry, dedicating ourselves to life, to living the Christian life, by and through the Holy Spirit's power. And therefore, listen, it is imperative, it is vitally important that we know who He is and why Christ has sent Him to us in this time. Jesus said that He would be a gift to us, that, that he, would, he would continue, another comfort, that He would continue the work that Christ has done. And so as a result, I, I want us to consider um, this comforter and why it is that you and I need him, why Christ has left us here on this earth with the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. Why, why this gift? What difference does he make in our lives? I believe from John chapter number 16, 
really beginning in verse number 1 all the way through verse number 15, we discover four specific reasons why you, why I, why we need a comforter. And I want to share them with you. Number one, we need a comforter as God's people because of the hatred of this world. We need a comforter because of the hatred of this world. Would you look in verse number one of John chapter 16? The Bible says there, these things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Now Christ goes all in on this night. I mean, already he's told them, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you without a comforter, but I am leaving you. And that was hard for them. So hard that he had, to, he, had to, he had to remind them, let not your heart be troubled. I'm leaving you with some gifts. So this was a difficult, difficult night. And it's almost as if, you know, it's one of those things where, listen, I've already given you some bad news. I'm just going to come out with it. And I'm going to tell you straight up what it is that you're going to have to deal with. And, and so John chapter 16 takes another, another step in this sort of this idea of bad news. And Jesus, Jesus says, I don't want you to be offended of what's coming. And here's what's coming. They're going to put you out of the synagogues, and then they're going to, there are some that are even going to kill you, and they're going to think that by doing so, they're doing God a favor, that they're doing God service. So not only does he tell them he's going away, but he also tells them that whatever goodwill that they had enjoyed over the past three and a half or so years is swiftly going to come to an end. And he says that the coming attacks will be fierce, against his followers specifically. Now, now we're going somewhere with this, but I want you to consider two things that he says. Number one, he says this. He says, the world will remove you as believers from places of influence. The hatred of the world towards followers of Christ will lead them at points in history, maybe even a a, 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 a point that is coming not too distant in the future, the hatred of the world is going to be poured out on believers to the point where, where, where they will come to a point where they say, we, we can no longer have you in a place of influence. Now, it's astounding to me that people think that cancel culture is some new thing. As if, as if you know, wow, we, we're, the first, we're the first society that's ever, that's ever dealt with cancel culture. I think it's pretty obvious from what Jesus is saying here that, you know, that if his words were true, then he's saying to the apostles, to the disciples, hey, hey, just get ready because the world's going to try to cancel you. They're going to try to remove you from a place of influence. Christ explains that his followers will experience firsthand what it is to be canceled due to their affiliation with him and their belief in him. Those who believe in Christ would be, he says, those who believe in me, those who follow me, he says, you'll be removed at some point in the future, you'll be removed from any type of involvement in synagogue life. That, that's what he's saying here in verse number two. Now, the synagogue was the center of Jewish religious life during the time of Christ. I have visited the, the Holy Land. I've, I've, I've been there on two separate trips. We're, we're planning a trip for this next, uh, uh, just a little bit less than a year from now, the, the spring of, um, of 2024. And, uh, and, and those of you that will go on that trip, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get to visit some, some first century synagogues. In fact, there are ruins from the synagogue that dates back to the first century in the city of Capernaum, which is where Jesus Christ's earthly ministry was based. I mean, you can see the very foundation stones of that synagogue there. And most of the synagogues that I have been in, or the replicas that were built over there that I have seen, uh, seem to be a, 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 a sort, of, sort of a square room much, much smaller than the room that you and I are sitting in, and uh, usually some type, of a, uh, some type of a stand in the middle of the room where someone could set a scroll or uh, whatever it is that maybe they're going to discuss, maybe their notes, and, and literally around them in a, in a sort of a square fashion, usually the three or four benches um, that, that really would be almost like built into the, into the wall, and that would be where the people would sit. 
so that the person would stand in the middle, almost like a church setting, they'd have their audience before them, and, 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 and depending on how many people were there, maybe even behind them, and, uh, and, and they would almost stand almost down, maybe, maybe a third of the way down into this room is, is sort of what I've seen and what I've witnessed. And of course, that's where the people would gather. They didn't go to churches necessarily like we went, but they were people who worshipped, and so they would, they would gather on the Sabbath typically, and they would hear teaching, and they would pray, and they would discuss the Old Testament, and that's what the Jews were in the habit of doing. And it was really the center of religious life in, in the New Testament uh, Palestine region. Um, it, was the, it was the place where people would gather to read and to teach scripture, to debate ideas, and to develop relationships based on religious agreement. Um, and, and by the way, do you, by, by the way, lots of things would be talked about and would be debated and would be considered in the, in the synagogues moving forward. But do you know, do you know what name and what religion was not tolerated in synagogues? The name Jesus, the, 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 term, the term Christian or follower of Christ or disciple of Christ. I mean, folks could go into the synagogue and they could stand and they could talk about just about anything that was on their mind. But the moment that someone stood up and said, hey, I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, at that moment, at that moment, it was time to remove them from the synagogue. You can't be here any longer. You can't stay here. Now, what is it about that name? What is it about that faith? And by the way, by the way, can I just remind you that we're living in a similar day and age. We, we, we're, we're, we're arriving very swiftly there in which, in which you can talk about just about anything. I mean, all manner of confusion and, and, and perversion and filth and vulgarity is tolerated in our society and in our culture. But don't you dare say the name of Jesus. You get canceled in a hurry by identifying with him. We don't want to hear about him. You know, it's interesting to me that we're, that we're arriving at this text on the first Sunday of a month that has been set aside to celebrate lifestyles that run contrary to a, to a natural and biblical framework as far as sexuality is concerned. It's interesting to me that, that, that as a, our world has given themselves over this, this month in particular to celebrate this. As believers, as believers, I'm thinking to myself, many of you, many of you work in secular places that, that this month are overflowing with praise and joy and celebration for this type of behavior. Behavior that is clearly condemned in God's word. And that's putting you in a really, really tough, weird, awkward spot, isn't it? I know of a man who um, works for a secular company. And part of, his, part of his job requires him to have a LinkedIn account. Some of you know what LinkedIn is, and it's a sort of a networking place for businessmen and women. And it requires them, and, they, and, and they, they've said this, they've said, uh, we'll, we'll, pay, we'll pay for you to have a premium membership so long, so long as, as you have our, our corporate logo at the top of, of, of your page. We'll, we'll pay for that because you work for us. And this man, this month, had to make the decision, had to make the decision to, to, to essentially say, you know what, this month I'm going to pay for my own subscription because I refuse, I refuse to have the corporate logo that celebrates the rainbow colors and celebrates that I'm a believer and I can't, I can't be associated with that. That's the type of decisions that some of you, some of you are having to make. I work, I work here. That's not a reality that I have to deal with. I'm blessed to work in a Christian environment, but not all of you are similarly blessed. Some of you have to go into a place in which, you know, they, they might even demand in some respects, you know, some allegiance to this, to this sort of thing. And, I, and, and I, I think to myself, you know, that we've all seen the tide shift in our lifetime uh, to this lifestyle from going to it being sort of whispered about and generally being considered, you know, on the fringe of culture to now being the accepted and normalized thing in our society. And, and here's how they've done it. They've, they've used the argument that they are victims of hatred and marginalization in our culture. But I just have to tell you, from my perspective, that is no longer the case. 
Maybe there was a time, maybe there was a time in which they were victims of hatred and marginalization, but, but I, I don't think that's the case any longer. Let me, let, me, let me give you an illustration of that. Recently, my mother-in-law retired. Uh, from, I'm, I, I won't say the name of the school, but she recovered, re- retired from a, a public school district here in this area. And so we went, we went to an, a ceremony that was honoring her as part of the school board, and they were honoring all of the retirees for that year. And it, and it just so happened to be in one of the, one of the rooms of, of one of the schools not, not far from here. And when we walked in there, I walked into this room, and I saw all of the flags of the world. There was the American flag, and there was the, you know, you name it, every country of the world. And then I turned around, and probably in one of the most prominent places in the room was the rainbow flag. Now listen, you, you, uh, you, you tell me how, how marginalized they are. When was the last time you walked into a public school and saw the Christian flag hanging in a classroom? You won't see that, ever. And yet, probably in every classroom or every schoolroom, uh, school building, I should say, in the United States of America, you will find evidence, you will find evidence of celebration of that lifestyle. Now you tell me who's marginalized. You tell me who's hated in our culture. I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? This is the world that we're living in. They're, they're, we're, we're living in a world in which, uh, which there's a whole month dedicated to celebrating this. And most corporations are now demanding more than acceptance and tolerance, but rather they're demanding praise of this lifestyle. And I just, I, I myself have a hard time looking at a group getting all of this attention and all of this praise and thinking of them as being marginalized and hated. I don't see it. Those, who, those who, who identify with this, they're not being removed from places of influence in our culture and our world. But Christ, Christ here promised that his followers would be. And I believe we're seeing evidence of this very thing coming to fruition in our world. You say, what are you, what are you saying here tonight? Are you saying that we should hate? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm simply saying, hey, listen, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we have enjoyed unprecedented freedoms and liberties. Unprecedented. My whole life, my whole life, we've been able to worship freely. We've been able to tell people about Jesus freely. We've been able to, you know, do whatever it is that we want to do. But I just, I, I just have, I, I just feel like as I'm looking at things coming down the line, I'm not sure how much longer those freedoms will remain. And I can see, I can see a time in which those who are followers of Christ are removed. Listen, their influence is removed from places in the public square. If it's not happening already, censoring and canceling and marginalizing and using terms like you guys are a bunch of bigots, you guys are a bunch of phobes of this and phobes of that and, uh, and, 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 and all of these sorts of things. And I just, I just want to go on record and say we're, we're, we're none of that. We're Bible-believing Christians we believe the word of God above all else. That's what it's all about. And if that puts us at odds with, with, with those that are in the public square, if that puts us at odds with what the culture is saying, well, then so be it. As the apostle said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And we can do that. We can do that in a, in a way that is not rude, is not condescending, is not ugly. But we can do that, and we must do that. We should do that. And notice, secondly, the world not only will remove believers from places of influence, but Jesus says the world will even resort to violence against believers and think that they're doing God a favor. Now, the devil is a master, isn't he, at twisting God's word and manipulating it for his own deceitful ways? I mean, he's just a master. That's how the whole, that's how the whole mess that we're in began within the first place. Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? I've seen a response to someone who stands up for biblical truth in this culture, maybe on social media or in some other way. The the response to someone who's standing up for for biblical truth, who's saying, you know, listen, I have to draw a line somewhere. I I want to draw a line on the Word of God and what the Word of God says. And I've seen responses like this. How very Christian of you, in a sneering, mocking, derisive manner, as if, as if Jesus never stood for truth. As if Jesus was okay with every lifestyle imaginable. As if Jesus would tolerate and would be accepting of some of the things that are happening in our world. What is implied in this idea is that God is only about love and that God simply wants everyone to be happy. Those who stand for truth, in some respects they reign on the parade of others and 
And, and Christ couldn't possibly be pleased with that is the world's thinking. Can I say we are not far from the world simply removing us from places of influence to actually maybe even seeing some evidence of physical violence or assault or even worse performed against or directed towards Christians. While we live here in the United States of America, there are people all over this world that are suffering, that are suffering uh, torture and abuse and difficulty because of their stand for Christ and because of their desire to advance the work of the gospel. The disciples, all of the men that Jesus is speaking to would all face some form of physical violence or torture for their faith. And most of them that he was talking to, most of them he was talking to that night would die for the cause of Christ. The people responsible for this would actually, would actually believe, according to Jesus, would actually believe that they were doing God a favor. The apostle Paul, prior to his conversion, was just such a man. He literally, he literally believed that, that, that going into the homes of Christ followers in the city of Jerusalem and, and, and gathering permission to go to a place called Damascus um, by stoning Stephen, he literally believed that he was doing the right thing in the eyes of God. He believed that Stephen was a blasphemer. He, he, he believed that the, the God that Stephen followed was a, uh, was a false God, was, a, was an idol, and, and, and that he was, he was actually doing the right thing, that God was pleased with what he was doing. He writes in 1 Timothy 1.13 about himself. He said, I was who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He said, I, I did what I did. I, I acknowledge what I did, but I was ignorant. I didn't know the truth. I, I, I said that Stephen was the blasphemer, but in reality, I was the blasphemer. I didn't see myself as a persecutor. I saw myself as someone who was doing God a favor, who was helping the Lord's cause. A world that doesn't believe in Christ. Listen, a world that doesn't believe in Christ isn't just a shame. I'm I'm talking about to the fullest extent extent of things. Because for far too long, we've kind of looked at the world and said, what a shame. What a shame all those people don't believe in the Lord. No, no, I want you to know something. A world that doesn't believe in Christ is not just a shame. It's a threat. It's a threat, and it is a danger to those who follow and believe in Christ genuinely. I'm talking about to the fullest extent of things. Now, there have, it has been harnessed in our culture, but we can see the harnesses are being removed. And we can see, we can see that it is becoming more and more uh, un, unfavorable in the eyes of culture to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and to identify with biblical Christianity. And I, and I, and I fear if we continue down this path, it's no longer going to be just you can't say that, but it's going to be if you say that, here's what's going to happen to you. And we have to be prepared for that. How can we navigate such a world that seeks to remove us from places of influence? and even threatens to commit violence against us and believes that God is pleased with such things. How do we, how do we handle that? I think implied in the scripture is this, we can't handle that. Not alone we can't. We need a comforter. We need a comforter. We need the Holy Spirit of God. God has given us just such a comforter to help us down here. Listen, and what I, what I would say is, as we move forward, and, and how, do we, how do we counteract this culture? And how do we speak truth into this culture? Here's what I would say. Before you speak, before you post, before you stand up for truth, whatever it is, whatever stand that you want to take, here's, here's what I would say. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Bathe that thing in prayer. Some of you are sitting here and you're, you're, you're in that position we talked about a little bit ago. You're working in a secular place. And I mean, you're sitting here going, I just can't take it any longer. And every day you go into work and you grit your teeth and you're just, you're just afraid one of these days you're just going to lose the whole thing. And I get it. I understand. You say, what do I, need? what do I do? Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Pray about it. Lord, I want to take a stand. I want to do the right thing. I want to stand up and be counted for truth and for righteousness. Lord, what would you have me to do? 
Lord, I yield myself to you. You take this body. You take this mouth. You take this mind. You take these eyes, these ears, these hands. You take these feet. You take it all. And you do whatever you want to with it. I feel like I must stand up, but I don't want to do anything that would make things worse for, for others, make things worse for myself, whatever the case might be. Give it to the Lord. You have a comforter. You have a comforter who's there to help you. Follow the Holy Spirit who is given to us for such a time as this. Number two. We need a comforter because, well, simply because Jesus said we do. Would you look in verse number seven? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Perhaps you've seen the slogan that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I've heard lots of people take issue with that statement and remove the phrase, I believe it. I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you. I'm not going to make a big deal out of that myself. Um, I think the author, whoever it was that wrote that, I think he was probably well-intentioned when he wrote it. Here's the question. Do you, do you believe God's word? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus was God? Well, I think in order to be a member of this church, we have to believe on <laughs> We have to agree that these, these things are true. So we have to believe that God's word is God's word. And we have to believe that Jesus is God. That's part of you know, what binds us together, what unites us together, right? So if we believe that we, we believe God's word, we believe Jesus was God, then here's, here's what, here's what we, we believe. We believe that God is saying, God is saying that you need the Holy Spirit, that you need him. He, he's saying you need him. Now think about this. He's saying you need him more more than you need Christ's physical presence according to this statement. That's what he's saying. Pretty obvious, isn't it? Now that's hard for us to, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to places where people are hurting and I thought to myself, if only Jesus was here. If only Jesus was here in his physical presence and his physical manifestation he could take whatever hurt you're dealing with and he could wipe it all away i thought i thought that probably a hundred times if not more and i believe it if jesus were here he could take whatever pain that you're dealing with whatever sorrow whatever heartache you're dealing with and he could take it all away and that would be wonderful wouldn't it but isn't jesus saying that better than that even is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. That's what he's saying. Now that may be an incom- inconvenient, uncomfortable truth, but it's the truth that Jesus is saying in this, pa- uh, in, this, in this text. Make no mistake about it. He's saying you need him. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the comforter more than you need my physical presence. The word expedient is translated from the Greek word sumthero, and it means advantage or good. So here's what what he's saying. He's literally saying, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is an advantage for you that I go away. Why? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, do we believe Jesus is God? Do we believe that what he says is true or not? Well, if we believe what he says is true, here's what he's saying. He is saying it is better for you. It is an advantage to you to have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you than it is for even the literal physical manifestation of Christ's presence to be here on this earth. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that in order for that to happen, I have to go away. And that is the best thing for you. So therefore, it's an advantage for us that Christ went away. Because his going away would coincide with God sending us something else, the comforter. If Christ stays, the comforter cannot come. And if Christ goes, the comforter can come. So what is best for God's people? The Holy Father, the Heavenly Father, he's chosen. He's chosen to do what is best for God's people, even if it doesn't seem like it's best. Those parents, all of us are familiar with making our kids do things they don't want to do whether it be homework or you know, taking a bath or brushing their teeth, combing their hair or eating their vegetables. And they're sitting here and they're saying, I don't want to do that. But you know as a parent, you know, that's the best thing for you. Do it. I'm going to make you do it. And, and here, listen, the Heavenly Father knows what is best for us even if it doesn't feel like it's best. 
even if it doesn't seem like it's best. Why do you need a comforter? Why do I need a comforter? Simply because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so. Number three, we need a comforter. We need a comforter to fulfill the Great Commission. We need a comforter to fulfill the Great Commission. What did Christ come to do? He didn't, he didn't come to heal people physically. He didn't come to raise people from the dead physically. He did some of those things, but that's not why he came. He came to heal people spiritually. He came to raise people from the dead spiritually. Jesus said it this way in Luke 19.10, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus came on a search and rescue mission looking for lost people. And as his followers, those of us who are disciples of Christ, as his followers, his priorities should become our priorities. So in other words, if that's what he was all about, seeking to save that which was lost, then shouldn't that be what we're all about as well? That should be our heartbeat. That should be our passion. That should be our motivation. Before he left this earth, he commissioned his church to go everywhere preaching the gospel. Now, as the gospel is preached, souls are saved. But listen, the power behind all of this is supplied by this very comforter. The Bible says in Acts 1, 8, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. So here's what he's saying. You're going to receive power. When? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then, then you shall be witnesses. He even said this in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, speaking of the Holy Ghost. So in other words, had he commissioned them to go into the world and preach the gospel of every creature? Yes. But he said, you better wait. You better wait until you've received the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what it's all about. So listen, if it was imperative that the Holy Ghost fall upon the apostles and upon the disciples for them to fulfill the Great Commission, isn't it imperative that he fall upon us as well? Isn't it imperative that we do what we do uh, in his power and in his strength? Now here we discover why the Holy Spirit would be so critical to their success. I mean, right here in John chapter 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would reprove the world of some things. Now that word reprove it can mean probably different things in different contexts, but in this context, it means to convict or to convince. So, so in other words, listen, when I, when, I, when I do what I do, whether it's go soul winning or let's preach a message, here's what I'm relying on. I'm relying, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit of God reproving the world in these areas. Convicting, convincing the world of these things. I, can't, I cannot do what Christ has called me to do without the Holy Spirit. Convicting and convincing men's hearts. So notice three things. Jesus said it. Jesus said the, con- the comforter convicts or convinces of sin. Look in verse number nine. Verse number eight. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Now you know the world has a love-hate relationship with sin, don't they? What I mean by that is they love to sin, but they hate the product of their sin. Product of sin is what? It's heartache, it's depression, it's confusion. Product of sin is sickness, brokenness, and ultimately death. So the world loves their sin. They love their sin, but they hate what it produces in their life. You don't believe me? Then sit down with an addict who started, who started doing drugs or drinking alcohol or smoking a cigarette. They started it because it was fun and it was enjoyable. And now they, they'd, give any, they'd give anything to give it up, but they can't. They can't. They, they loved it in the beginning, but now they hate it. Many times, many times people love their own sin, but they hate the sins of others and how it, how, how it, how it affects them and how it troubles them. The Holy Spirit would come and he would help through his ministry, the comforter would come, and he would help sinners to be aware of their sin and to own their sin. Until someone is aware that they are a sinner and until someone owns their own sin, they cannot be saved. Can I say, listen, the greatest sin any of us deal with is not sexual sin. The greatest sin that any of us deal with is not pride, it's not violence. The greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. It's the greatest sin. That's what sends, that's what sends every person who will go to hell will go there because of the sin of unbelief. Question might be asked, well, what sin, what sin sends someone to hell? Is it the sin of homosexuality? Is it the sin of alcoholism and, and drug abuse? Is it the sin of violence, murder? No, it's the sin of not believing on the name of Jesus Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit of God, the Comforter, has been sent to us to convict, convict and to convince the world that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Because right now, listen, right now the world doesn't believe in Jesus. The world just thinks he's another religious leader along with the rest of them. Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to send the comforter and he's going to convict, he's going to reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. That's what's sending people to hell, they don't believe on Jesus. But when the comforter comes and he, and he has opportunity to speak and people give him an opportunity to speak into their lives and they listen to him, they're convinced of their sin. And what is the greatest sin? The greatest sin is not believing on Jesus. But no, secondly, number, number two, the comforter convicts of righteousness. He says, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now, you know, man has always tried to supply or provide his own righteousness to bring uh, to bring his good before the Lord in hopes that the Lord would be satisfied with it. You say, what do you mean man has always tried to do this? Did you know that that's what Adam and Eve tried to do way, way back in the Garden of Eden? When they ate of the fruit, the Bible says that they realized that they were naked. They had not, they had not, they had not thought about that before. But now they were aware of those things. Their eyes literally were opened. God, God told them, God warned them. I warned them that they were going to have problems if they ate of the fruit, and now, now they have problems. So what did they do? The Bible says that they sewed fig leaves together. You know, what that, you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of man trying to cover his sin. That's a picture of man trying to, trying to, do, trying to do good and to offer it to the Lord. See, see, look at these fig leaves we've sewed together. Don't we look nice? Don't we look good? And God showed up. God said, that, that, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. What did God do? At the end of Genesis chapter number 3, the Bible says that he made them coats of skins. You see, the fig leaves weren't sufficient because, because, number one, it was the work of their own hands, and number two, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. They had sinned. In order for them to be made right with God, something had to die. Blood had to be shed. And an innocent animal, I don't know what animal it was, the Bible doesn't tell us, but an innocent animal had to die, and God took from that animal, coats of skins, and made, made that for them as a covering. And from that point until tonight, until tonight, man has been trying to cover his own sin with good works. Every, every, every person who, who, who joins a church in order to be saved, every person who gets in a body of water in order to wash away their sin, every person who gives some money away or does something nice, you know what they're saying? They're saying, God, look at these fig leaves I've sewed together. Don't I look nice? God is saying, I, I don't want to see that. God, God's saying, look, why don't you look to the cross? And why don't you believe on Jesus? And why don't you allow him to be a covering for your sin? The book of Isaiah reveals that our righteousness our righteousness, uh, it, it reveals something about our righteousness in a startling way. Here's what it says. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The Holy Spirit, therefore, convinces man that his righteousness is not sufficient, but that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient. And, and he adds the phrase, Jesus adds the phrase, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. I, I, just, I, I just have to give this to you because I think it's so powerful. Matthew Henry gives two reasons why this is so significant as it relates to the Holy Spirit's work of convincing man on the deity of Christ. That phrase, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, here's, here's two reasons. Number one, their seeing him no more will contribute something towards the removal of their prejudices. They shall see him no more in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the form of a servant which made them slight him. Don't you think that there was an attitude among some during Jesus' earthly ministry when he stood and he proclaimed to be God? And they looked at him and they said, they said, you're no different than I am. Now, you know, religious artists have tried to depict Jesus as wearing some type of a halo. And, and that's, that's a way in which they sort of differentiate him between ev everyone else in their paintings. But the Bible says no such thing. The Bible says that when we beheld him, there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. So by removing Christ, why is, that, why is that best? Why does that aid and assist people in, in being saved? Because maybe, maybe by removing him from physical presence, they can read about him, but they, they, they don't see him as he was in, in human flesh. They, they can see him a little bit differently, and therefore maybe their prejudices can be removed. 
But then he says this, he said not only that, but his going to the Father would be a full conviction of it. The coming of the Spirit, according to the promise, was proof of Christ's exaltation to God's right hand. And this was a demonstration of his righteousness. Here's why. Because a holy God would never set a deceiver at his right hand. So Christ going away is significant. Why, why do we sit here and say, why is it better? Because those two things are accomplished. It removes maybe normal prejudices. And number two, it shows, it shows us that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Because he said, listen, when I go to the Father, the Father then will send the Comforter. And he did. And the sending of the Comforter convinces man that Jesus is who he says he is. Convinces, convinces man that your righteousness is not sufficient. But notice, notice thirdly, the comforter not only convicts of sin, convicts, convicts of righteousness, but he also convicts of judgment. Verse number 11, of judgment. Why? Because the prince of this world is judged. Now how do we know? How do we know that the Lord will judge wickedness? We know it because the prince of the world is judged. We read about it in the Bible. The prince of this world was cast out of God's presence, wasn't he? We know, we know that God will judge wickedness because, the, because during Christ's earthly ministry, we, so we read, of, we read of, of, of the devil being cast out of the presence of God, but then we also read that during Christ's earthly ministry, what happened? The presence of the devil was cast out of people's bodies. Jesus had power over that, didn't he? We know that Christ is going to, is going to judge the world because every time someone repents and is born again, that the devil is cast out of the throne room of their heart every time. And we know that God is going to judge the world because someday, we read it in the Bible, the devil is going to be bound and cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. I'm looking forward to that day. But there's even a better day coming than that. Because did you know that at the end of that thousand years, the devil is going to be loosed for a little season and he is going to wreak havoc here in this world. Not with you and me, those of us who know Christ as Savior. But there will be some, there will be some who will be deceived by him. But you know what's going to happen, don't you? Ultimately, Revelation chapter number 20, he is going to be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Never, listen, never to be seen or heard from again. So, how, how, do, you, how do you know, how do I know that God's going to judge wickedness? Well, there's just a pattern of it over and over again. God judged the devil, cast him out of heaven. Jesus came to this earth, God judged the devil by casting him out of the bodies of those who were, uh, who were uh, possessed by him. Every time someone repents and believes on the name of Jesus Christ, the devil is cast out of the throne room of the heart of that individual, and someday he's going to be bound and cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years before ultimately being cast into the lake of fire. And how do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit of God convinces us of it. And if God's going to do that to the devil... God's going to also deal with the sin in my heart and in my life if I don't deal with it the right way, if I don't repent of it and do the right thing. You and I can never convince the world of these things with our oratory skills, with our knowledge of God's Word. I can't convince man that he's a sinner. I can't convince man that his righteousness is insufficient. I cannot, I cannot convince man that he's going to be judged someday. But the Holy Spirit can, and he does. It's time that we quit relying on, well, I'm a really smooth talker. I, re I know the Romans road so well. I've got lots of experience as a soul winner. I mean, I, I, I've, got, I've got a Bible full of names of people that I've led to Christ. I've got story after story. It's time that we quit relying on those things. And it's time we look to the, it's time we look to the Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit of God, you do your work. Because you're so much better at it than I am. We need the comforter in order to fulfill what Christ has left us here to do. Number four, and finally, we'll be done. We need the comforter. We need a comforter to guide us in this life. Verses 12 to 14. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. There was so much on this night that Christ needed to say that he wanted to say, but he couldn't. He, he, he recognized that they were not able to bear these things. And so he thought to himself, you know, I don't have to give them everything tonight. Comforter is going to come. And he's going, to, he's going to share with them the same things that I would have shared with them. I don't have to get it all out in one, in one service, in one message. I find, I find so much comfort in knowing, in knowing that, 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 listen, the, the work of God is a work of a lifetime. 
sometimes, sometimes the devil tries to beat me up. Well, you should have said this and you should have said that and you left that out and well, that was in your notes. Why did you skip over that? Whatever. You know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of, you know, listen, listen, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in people's lives. I uh, had a phone call earlier this week. I talked to a man that got saved here last Sunday. And uh, he's been coming for a few months. And uh, just so excited about what the Lord's doing in his life. And he said, you know, every time, he said, every time we come to church, we feel like you're, we feel like you, 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 you know us. We feel like you're, like you've got like a camera in our home. And that you're aware of the things that we're doing. And I don't know about you, but man, that sense chills up and down my spine. Because I ain't got no cameras in anybody's home. But you know, you know, what, he, you know what he's telling me? He's, he's telling, he doesn't know what he's saying. But here's what he's telling me. He's saying, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in our lives. And every time we come and we hear a message, he's speaking to us. And that's thrilling to me. Thrilling to me. I have... Folks come and tell me, man, ever since I've come to Cleveland Baptist, I've grown so much. That's not, that's not us patting ourselves on the back. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit of God doing a work. We just have to get out of the way. We just have to be faithful. It's thrilling to me. Notice three things and we'll be done. The comforter would guide them into all truth, verse 13. He's the spirit of truth. Therefore, he had no problem guiding them into all truth. Much of the, in fact, all of the New Testament was yet to be written at this point. Just as he had done with the Old Testament, he would do with the New Testament. Holy men of God spake as they were moved. How? By the Holy Ghost. Deceivers, false prophets, and grievous wolves would be lurking. The Comforter would guide us to be discerning, to know who to believe and who not to believe. Sometimes people are sitting here saying, I don't know what to believe. Why don't you, why don't you go to the Comforter about that? Holy Spirit, would you guide me into all truth? This looks good, this looks appealing, but I don't know, there's just something isn't right about that. Would you show me what you'd have me to do? Would you guide me? I believe he'll do it. The comforter would show them things to come, verse 13. You know, we base our eschatology on things coming out of this book. Well, who, who's the author of this book? The Holy Spirit of God is. Therefore, the Holy Spirit of God has shown us things to come. We're living in a day that the Holy Spirit previously told these apostles and prophets about. There are days still to come in the future that the Comforter urged Peter, Paul, and John to write about. How do we keep our sanity? How do we keep our peace in this life? Here's how we do it. We read our Bible. And the Holy Spirit reminds, uses it to remind us that God has everything under control. And things are happening just as he said that they would. Number three, the Comforter would glorify Christ. Verse 14. How do we know something is Holy Spirit-led? Because it glorifies Christ. That which glorifies man, that which divides believers, or that which questions Christ can't possibly be of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry would replace Christ's physical presence here on this earth, but it would continue, it would replace it, but it would continue the work that he had begun by helping the whole world to understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior of mankind from his sin. Sometimes people come to me, how do you know what is a cult? Here's how you know it's a cult. They're messed up on who Jesus is. That's how you know it's a cult. Well, how do you know? How do you, I mean, this, you know, this religion, they, they talk about Jesus. They, how do you know it's right or not? Well, what, do they, what, do they, what do they believe about the Bible? What do they believe about who Jesus is? What do they believe about these things? The, the, these things listen, these things are either Holy Spirit-led or they're not. The Holy Spirit of God, he guides us into all truth. You need a comforter. You need a comforter because Jesus said you need one. You need a comforter because this world hates Christians. You need a comforter to help you fulfill the Great Commission. You need a comforter. I need a comforter to guide us throughout this life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.